0: Here at Doc Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, once again, welcome to everyone joining us online this morning. Um, can I please ask all of us to open up our Bibles, whether it's an electronic one or a paper one, to the New Testament book of 1st Peter. So we in our series called Rooted Hope, our New Normal. And last time we left off, two weeks ago, we were in this sermon titled, Changing South Africa for Good, Part 1. And we saw that Peter was speaking to this pressured and persecuted church, and he was telling them this. He was saying in verse 12 of chapter 2, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, those who don't know Jesus, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits Peter said, we are not the main characters in the story of our lives. God is. So how do we live in that manner? If the greatest dream that I have is to make God famous in everything that I do, then even in this incredibly difficult time during a global recession and pandemic, I can have such purpose and identity. And so now we see he's going un- he's going to unpack these ideas and he uses four examples to do that. How can I live so that God is the main character so that he would be glorified in the areas of your government, your workplace, your marriage, and your church? And so we tackled the first two last week. And this is what Peter was saying. In this moment for us in South Africa, everyone is telling us, you know, tear down the system, get off the grid, silence those who don't agree with you, take a public stand. And Peter comes and he says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to submit. I want you to submit. It's the most countercultural posture that you can take in this crazy COVID season. He said in verse 13, submit to every human authority to these structures you find in your life, whether it's marriage or whether it's the church or the government. He says, I want you to submit to these structures. Is it because of them and their track record and their quality? No. He says, we do it, verse 13 says, because of the Lord. It's because of what God has done in our lives. And we say this Greek word submit means to live under the order. So how do I live under the order, under the structures that God has placed me in whether marriage or family or the church in such a way that God is made known in everything that I do? And today we're going to speak about marriage. And if you're not married, that's fine. Because guys, guess what? God's greatest concern is who we are becoming. And that process is not going to stop or magically change the moment you have a ring on your finger. So whether you are in a place of singleness or whether you are married or not, all of us are going to benefit deeply by going into the scriptures together. So husbands and wives, how can you live in such a way that God is the main character in your marriage? So let's start with the wives. Let's read together. First Peter 3 verse 1, he says, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned or dressed themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you do what is good and you do not fear any intimidation. (laughs) Now, guys... Let's be honest. When I said two weeks ago that you know submitting to the government and to your employer is like the the most unpopular topic ever. I lied. This is the most unpopular topic ever submission in marriage. I think we should write the words TNT on this topic because people literally explode in anger when you speak about it. And I'm going to try my best to show us that I think both inside and outside the church, this is incredibly misunderstood and often abused. But I know that it doesn't matter what I say, some of you are going to beat me like a piñata. That's fine. But I want to say that that's why we preach through books of the Bible in Dr. Hatfield, Headfield, because it's not primarily about what you think you want to hear or what I think you need to hear, it's about what God wants us to hear, even when it's uncomfortable, even when we have to really dig in. So let's get going. And I think the place we have to start with the Scripture is by acknowledging that by misunderstanding and misappropriating passages like these and others, over the ages, there has been incredible abuse. And the reality is that men will find any kind of flag to fly their abuses under, whether it's, you know, politics or some other movement, and even, yes, religion. And so just the other day, our president, President Cyril Ramaphosa, when he was addressing the nation on this whole COVID crisis again, almost with tears in his eyes, he was speaking about this pandemic And it's not the the epidemic of the disease, but that of the violence, domestic violence that had broken out during the lockdown phase. He actually said, and I quote, there's a war being waged against women and children in this country. That is horrendous. That's evil. That's horrible. That is an absolutely wicked thing. That people would find things to, to justify their sin and destruction. I'll never forget one evening, and, and just keeping the details vague, a girl that we knew, she asked to speak to us. And the moment I opened up the door to our house, I could literally within one second see that everything was wrong. This girl was married to a guy who was a leader in a church, and she sat there shaking telling us with tears in her eyes how he was physically abusing her. This is an evil and wicked thing. But far from the Bible motivating this, the the worldview of the Bible, I would say the, the worldview and the wisdom of the Bible gives us the reason why this subversion happens. Because the Bible says that the heart of mankind is deceitfully wicked. It's ruled by sin. It's full of brokenness and rebellion. And so we go and look for things that will justify our evil deeds. And whether it's apartheid or international war or witch hunts or slavery or abuse in marriage, people will even use religion to do that. And the Bible says that's a wicked thing that God is going to judge. But Hatfield, I want to say the answer for us then is not to run away from these things, but it's to come to them and to highlight the truth, to show the truth and to weed out the deception that people have twisted the Bible into to justify their own sinful hearts. So let's get into it. In Peter's time then, if we look at the context of this passage, households, very different from ours, where we see in the Western world ourselves very individualistically, even here in South Africa, in their time, households were seen as a unit. So you would practice the religion of your house, whatever the husband decided, you know, our, our common religion was, and you practiced it without asking any questions. And so now the the question arises from the early church scattered all throughout Asia Minor. What if the wife in such a household becomes a Christian? What if Jesus enters into her heart and, and becomes her Lord and Savior? What should she do? Because in their culture, what would happen most of the time is if women, you know, took up some new religion or some new pagan practice, they would just abandon their family. They would just go. And Peter says to them, instead of doing that, I want you to submit. In other words, I want you to play the role that God has given you to play in this structure so that you, by your conduct, by what God has done in your heart, you can show your unbelieving husband something of who God is. Yes, you can't save your husband, but you can influence him. Peter is saying, when God is the main character of your story, if Jesus has become everything for you, I want you to look at your culture's response, and I want you to look at your home setting, and I want you to look at those things with fresh eyes, with a grace perspective, a gospel perspective, and I want you to react in a countercultural way. So let's look at some of the examples that Peter highlights some ways that we are to react differently in this context. Number one is our culture says that men and women are equal because there is no difference between them. But Peter comes, and and the Bible, God comes and says, yes, men and women are absolutely equal, and they are different. (laughs) You see, in our culture, we have this narrative in 2020 that unless men and women are exactly the same in every single respect, then they cannot have equal value. But the Bible comes and says, no, I want to say from the beginning that yes, men and women are created equal in the image and the likeness of God. Genesis 126, they are equal inheritors of the promises of God. They are equally called to use and serve God with the Holy Spirit gifts that he has given. And they are equally called to take up the calling of vocation and and going into the city and into their family and into their marriage and serving God. Those are all established by God as equals. But then the Bible goes further. And says different from the world. The world says that equality comes from uniformity. But the Bible says no. We are equally made in God's eyes. And we celebrate the fact that men and women are unique. They are different. The Bible celebrates both unity and diversity. The Bible says that men and women don't compete with each other. They complement each other. So... Peter says in verse 1, in the same way, in other words, the same way we've been speaking of as Jesus influencing our way we think about government and, and the way we think about our workplace, he says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they're not Christian, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. See, God is saying that I have given a role to husbands in marriage, in their households, and that is to be the leader. I'm calling men to be the leaders in their marriage and in their households. And some of you are rolling your eyes. You're going like, "Stoats, can't believe you say something like that in 2020. But the reality is, if that is my, my response, it means that I don't know anything about biblical leadership. Because if your idea of leadership is that the leader is the smartest, the greatest, you know, he's the most skilled, everyone else just just be quiet because the leader is here and he makes the decisions and he flattens everyone, then you don't know anything about what biblical leadership is. Because Jesus comes as God incarnate and he says, I did not come to Be served, but to serve. If you want to be first, you have to be last. He says, we will not lord it over as other leaders do. Biblical leadership is about saying, I take up the mantle of servants in the area that I'm placed in. I mean, in the Trinity, God himself, the Bible says that God is one in essence, but three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he is perfectly equal in value and in essence and in identity, and yet even in the Trinity, we find these differing roles and functions. We even find at times differing subordinate functions. Jesus in his ministry says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Jesus says, I send the Holy Spirit and he reflects back to my teaching and truth. So if in God, in his Trinitarian nature, there is absolute equal value and yet different function, we do not have to fear this. Men are not better in value or identity in their homes or in their marriage, but they have got this great calling of saying the buck stops with you. You are going to be held accountable for your marriage and for your household. And so submission then does not mean that you are not equal, that you are inferior. It means that if I live under the order, I am supporting, I am complimenting, I am strengthening the calling that God has given my husband. And I want to, before you start typing that email, I want to stop you and already just take a couple of things out of your arsenal by saying, submission is not, let's look at a couple of them. Submission does not mean honoring cultural gender roles. I think so many of the conversations about these things have nothing to do with the Bible and everything to do with your culture. So in your marriage, if your your husband loves cooking and your wife loves doing DIY and cutting the grass and someone has an issue with that, that has nothing to do with the Bible and everything to do with your cultural perception of gender roles. Submission is also not saying that women don't lead in society. Peter says here, submit to your own husband. Not women everywhere submit to all men. (laughs) Also, submission does not mean that abuse of any kind is being sanctioned. If a husband is abusing his wife under the banner of religion, whether physically or emotionally or sexually, I want to tell you, as a, as a, as a woman in that situation, get out. Go and seek help. Go to the police. Go to a social worker. Is there a way that this marriage can still be saved by God's grace? Yes, that's a possibility. But in this case, get to safety. There's only two things that the Bible says actually warrants divorce, which is a horrible thing. But that is unfaithfulness and that is abuse. And if you are a man in this place, I want to say with all the love in my heart, God have mercy on your soul. Because God says if you are raising your hand to your wife or whether there's sexual or emotional abuse in your house or to your kids, do not think that I will not repay every single thing that you have done. And so I pray for you, husband, that you will find deep, deep repentance and transformation in your heart so that God would restore you. But submission also doesn't mean that men just make all the decisions somewhere you know, in isolation and they just come and force it down upon their families. Again, then it doesn't mean that you don't understand what leadership is. Good leadership actually looks to find the very best in every person around the table and pull it out of them and bring it into the decision making. So yes, your wife is gifted. God has made her with, with such a sharp intellect and, and perception and discernment. So it is a collective decision making where God is saying, you husband, you are going to have the, the shouldered responsibility of where your house goes. And finally, submission does not mean... That woman must in some way soften their skill set. You know, I'm just in the background because my husband, you know, he's the leader and I have nothing to contribute. That's nonsense. If God has gifted you with passion and with a skill set, a good husband is going to draw that out of you and nurture that within you. (laughs) Can Can we just breathe, friends? Can we just breathe? Can we just imagine what it would look like if God were to do this in marriage? He says, let's be countercultural. When wives and husbands are a team, shoulder to shoulder as equals, women honoring and strengthening their husbands as leaders. But secondly, our culture says to us that a woman's outward appearance is the most defining. Quality that she has, and so we should obsess about it. But Peter says, no, the inner quality of character is the most important quality she has. I mean, guys, let's be honest. With with all the talk we have in our modern age about, you know, we're leaving behind all these outmoded ideas of gender and sex and religion, and you know, we are progressive and we are new in our thinking, we are getting unshackled from all these old things. Yet in that society that we are creating in 2020, sexuality and a woman's outward appearance is still the thing that gets worshipped by people universally. That's a fact. I mean, you can go and look, whether it's advertising or music or movies or social media, people are obsessed over body type staying young and and keeping up outward appearances when it comes to a woman, saying that is the most defining quality that you have. And listen to what Peter comes to say. Listen to what God says to us as a countercultural example. Verse three, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Peter uses this word consist to say that there is nothing wrong with looking after yourself outwardly. But he says, if your beauty, as it were, the the fullness of your identity and your worth, if that consists in your outward appearance, it's going to destroy you. No, Peter says the strength of your character, he says, he calls it imperishable. He says that is the most beautiful thing that you can nurture as a woman. And that's the thing that's going to make a difference in the world around you. One more half-naked girl on Instagram is not going to change the world. But God says a woman of deep godly character as her primary concern Oh, the world has to watch out. And I mean, guys, let's be honest. Here in Pretoria, if you are a lady and if you are pushing, you know, you're pushing 40 and you haven't yet had your lips done and your breasts augmented and your, you know, your uh, crow's feet straightened and every single gray hair sorted out. Our culture says that that diminishes your identity and your worth and your beauty. And will never forget us sitting with friends of ours. They are both Christians. They both serve Jesus. And they were telling us about how they were actively saving up money so that she can get a breast enlargement. And the reason for that was the reason given is because she did not feel woman enough. Now that hot topic set aside for now, I just ask you this one question. Is that need coming from God who establishes our identity and purpose, who calls woman as his precious possession? Or is it coming from the culture who obsesses over your outward appearance as the only defining thing you can truly give he cannot encourage us. God has something much more for you. Because, you know, most commentators would agree that Peter mentions these things, you know, hair and, and, and gold jewelry and etc. And the point being that many of the Christians that, be, you know, these female Christians that started to follow Jesus, they were very affluent. So it was possible for them to flaunt their wealth and their beauty. And Peter simply asks the question. Even though you can do that, what truly makes you who you are? Our culture says one thing. God says something so different. And thirdly, our culture says that female role models are those who flaunt their bodies and influence and wealth. Those are the ones to pursue. But Peter says, God says to us, women should look to role models not just of competence but of character. I mean, let's be honest. If you now, you can Google it yourself. If you go and look at any top 10 female influences in the world at this point, and you know, in any field, uh, you know, whether it's business or fashion or fitness, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Cosmopolitan or Women's Health or the Kardashians or YouTube, you are going to see the same thing. That is the picture given to us of what truly makes a woman what she is but listen to what Peter says. He says, in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned. They dressed themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. See, this term that he uses, Lord, it's not its not a term of worship. This is an ancient Near Eastern word of respect. That's why it's not put in capital letters. You're not worshiping your husband as God. But it's telling this moment in the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. I mean, Abraham was a flawed man. He was not a, he was not a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. But God calls him and he makes this promise that he's going to bless the world through him. So it's going to start with a family before it comes a nation and a movement, and Jesus comes from it. And so in his old age and his wife's old age, God promises them a child. And it's seemingly ridiculous. How can that happen? And so his wife looks at this and it's like, how can I follow my husband in such a ridiculous promise? But that's exactly what she does. She honors and strengthens. She submits. And God says, that is the most beautiful thing imaginable. When you are clothing yourself, as he says, adorning yourself with the character and the promises and the truth of God, when you are not just simply looking to look good, but to do good. Young woman, can I encourage you? Wives, can I encourage you, don't let the world become your coach on what it means to be a woman. Because it will disenfranchise you, it will destroy you, it will disillusion you. Let God become your coach. He speaks of the kind of example of someone like a Sarah that coaches us in what it means to be full of God and pursuing Him as the main character in your story. Now what about the husband's? They don't get off easy either. He's saying to them, what does it mean, husband, to have God as the main character in your marriage? So he's now addressed the wives of unbelieving, non-Christian husbands. And now he's going to speak in the church, the scattered church, to Christian husbands. So the assumption is that their wives are Christian. So it looks a bit different, the, you know, the, the, the task given, let's say. So read with me. It says in verse seven, husbands, In the same way, again, because of Jesus, whether it's government or church or workplace or marriage, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Once again, Peter makes it so clear, men, you have a task to lead, to be proactive, to stand up. The greatest sin in my heart, the greatest sin in men's hearts is passivity. It's to stand back and do nothing. And Peter says, no, that's not your calling, husband. I've called you to lead. I've called you to stand up. And listen to how he puts it. He says, there are three elements to this. I want you to stand up and lead in your marriage physically, emotionally, and spiritually. First up, he says physically, verse seven, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Don't just exist next to your wife or in your house. He says, love, this Greek word speaks of vitality, of passion. You know, isn't it true that it's this trope, it's this, uh, you know, the stereotype that in every series or movie, it's the deadbeat dad, isn't it? You know, he's just there. You know, I'm just standing in the background. He never knows what to do. He's always stupid. He's always fumbling around. He's never there. He's never present. He's always going out with his friends, getting drunk or doing something stupid. That's the picture. And God says, now I've not called you to exist just next to your wife, but to live with her, to be proactive and passionate, to make your home and your marriage the greatest passion project in your life. He says in the same way, he's referencing Jesus once again, give up your life, sacrifice your own needs and serve your wife, love her, be there for her, make time for her, put your own needs second and date your wife till the day that you die. And he uses this word, you know, weaker partner, it's actually... The, the word for women in the sentence is where we get our word gynecologist from. So he's not speaking about worth. It's a physical thing. He's speaking about the fact, especially in the Roman world, that most of those men who kind of ruled with an iron fist in their house, they could overpower their wives physically. That was just a general statement. And I would say today, that's generally still the truth. Most men can physically overpower their Wife Now, of course, there's a couple of ladies fighting at the UFC. That would pummel me. that's a fact. But in general, that's the truth. And so he's saying, you have this ability to be abusive. And God forbid, I want to call you to deep heart transformation and never lift your hand to your wife, but give your hands in service, self-sacrificing service. For your wife, lead your home physically. But he says, lead it emotionally as well. He says, show them honor as co heirs of the grace of life. Instead of asking the question, how can I be satisfied in my marriage? You know, we need to go to counseling because I want to be satisfied. You know, I just moan to my friends about my wife and I'm not getting satisfied. The question should be, how can I bring out the very best in my wife? and honor her. Peter says you are co-heirs, co-inheritors in God's sight. It means that you are equals. So if you are being domineering in your sexuality, if you are being uh, demanding in your decision making, if you are disinterested in the way that you spend your time during the week, if you are being distant emotionally, you have to ask God to reveal to you what it means to honor your wife, to show her the princess that God has made her to be. Men, we have to fight for the friendship that we have with our wives. You know, John Gottman and his wife, they run this institute called the Love Lab in New York. It's the biggest research institute on marriage in the world. They've literally Watched millions of hours or documented millions of hours of couples engaging with one another. And out of all their research, he summarizes as follows. He says the simple truth is that happy marriages are based on a deep friendship. By this, I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. Men take the lead in the friendship with your wife. And finally, he says, I want you to lead, take responsibility, be proactive spiritually. He says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So two implications. Number one, he is expecting, he's implying that we are praying, that we are taking the lead. We are to take the initiative spiritually in our homes. And secondly, and this is harsh, he's saying that if you are displaying a pattern of consistently, habitually dishonoring your wife, God says he will turn his face from your prayers. That's harsh. I mean, we often, we we always have this picture of Jesus, you know, he's just the shampoo model, just kind of, you know, floating around, never offending anyone. God says, if you dishonor this bride that I've given you, If you do that consistently, I will turn my face from your prayers until it's a prayer of a humble repentance before me saying, God, please help me lead and serve my wife once again. Friends, if we want to see South Africa change for good, we will have to break the generational cycles in homes of women dragging men to church, of wives being stuck in spiritually feeble relationships. Of men leading their homes in everything but faith and kids growing up in that way. And husband, if you're sitting there, I just want to tell you that I'm preaching to myself this morning. I understand the pressure that you feel or the condemnation that you feel. I grew up in a home where my mom and my sisters, they were on this faith journey. My dad and I were clueless. So I understand if you say, I feel stupid, I feel embarrassed, I feel you know, unengaged, or I I feel ill-equipped, I don't know how to do this. But please hear me this morning when I say you have been chosen by God. You are his son, in whom he is well pleased, his beloved. He has put his spirit within you. He has called you. He has commissioned you. He has sent you with a purpose. And you can change the patterns that you grew up in. You do not have to repeat the past. God has called you to be the one who takes responsibility spiritually in your house. And so just do this one thing for me. Don't do a million things after today. Just do this one thing. Peter says, pray. Pray. Take a moment every single day and pray for your wife. Pray for your kids. And every day, take a moment and pray with your family. Pray with your wife before she goes to work. Pray for your kids before bed. And don't just rehearse a little sentence before you eat, but pray with passion. God has called you. You do not have to stand back for a moment husband, man, hear me when I say the greatest inheritance that you will leave on this earth is not the business that you built or the bike that you rode or the hobby that you practiced or the house that you bought. It's going to be the spiritual investment that you made in your wife and your kids. How would we live, men, if God were the main character in our story? So let me just finish off. There's this website called Maripedia, speaking about marriage, and they pull together just decades of research and they say this healthy marriages are the bedrock to a healthy society. South Africa needs healthy marriages. They say everything, schooling, health markets, crime, church, government, family relations, the marketplace, mental health, all these things skyrocket with healthy, God-based marriages and they deteriorate and break apart when those are not there. But here's the rub, friends. The challenge with self-help, the challenge with just a marriage seminar is that it's basically saying, come on, do better, you bad person. <laughs> Make the decision. Just do it on Monday. And we all know, men and women, the, the self-condemnation when by Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm just back in my old patterns. So what is the secret to this kind of marriage? Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives what just as Christ loved the church and God gave himself for her. It's only when the gospel melts my heart of a God, of a, of a bridegroom who had every means to lord it over us, but who gave himself. When that love transforms me and I live from it and not for it, if John 3.16 says, so, for God so loved the world that he gave, if that captures my heart and transforms me through faith, I can say, for God so loved, how can I give in this marriage? That's how we will see this nation changed. When husbands and wives live with God, the self-sacrificing king on a cross is the main character. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray for every man that he would know that he is not condemned but called. Pray for every wife fearing this, that you would just adorn her with strength and passion and faith. May we see a generation changed in Jesus. Amen.